With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Over at BangTheBook.com, we are your one-stop shop for sports betting news and information. The opening line report for the Super Bowl and our official game preview both posted over there here this morning. But that's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of Super Bowl content that we'll have. Lots of prop stuff coming up. Danny Borg's going to have his model projections for the big game. He's also going to talk with one of the uh, odds makers and risk managers over at Park Sportsbook in the Philadelphia area. Give us some thoughts on what they're seeing for the game. So we'll have tons of stuff for the Super Bowl coming up here over at the website. To go along with daily NHL, daily college basketball, daily NBA, soccer, tennis, golf, UFC, you name it, we got it over at bangthebook.com. Finally, as you know, this and every edition of Bang the Book Radio presented by our friends over at DSI Sportsbook. BTB and the number 200 is that promo code. 100% deposit match bonus for the sportsbook. 100% deposit match bonus for the live casino at BetDSI. It's only a game until you bet it. One guest on the program here with me for the full show. That is professional aid again for Kyle Hunter from HunterSportsPicks.com as well as BetterSportsPicks.com. Kyle, how's it going today, man? Going well, man. How about yourself? Doing very well, buddy. Appreciate your time as always here, sir. Lots to get to on the college basketball side today. But we start with our initial thoughts here on Super Bowl 54. That's LIV for those that aren't good at Roman numerals. San Francisco and Kansas City down in Miami, February 2nd, the date of the Super Bowl here this year. As we look out there in the betting market, a lot of minus one with extra juice here on Kansas City. After seeing some one and a halves, even a straight two and a half popping up last night at my bookie, total going up from 52 to as high as 54 out there in the market. Your initial thoughts here on this side in total, Kyle? Well, first of all, I think that, um, you know, yesterday's games were were not wonderful. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that the Super Bowl is a little bit better game. Um, you know, the Titans have been a good story. Uh, Titans playing so many games in a row on the road. Thought it was a bad spot for them. I had the Chiefs there. Fortunately, that cashed. Honestly, I was a little bit worried that that was going to end up losing based on, you know, the clock management and the stuff that the Chiefs usually kind of let people back in the game. And and that fake punt. Um, oh, God. Yeah, how, how did they not know a fake was coming there? I mean, you know, they can't punt with six minutes left down 35 to 17. So uh, that one was really surprising. But in general, you know, the Chiefs uh, had a little bit of a slow start like they did before. And then they started playing really well. Mahomes is tremendous. I mean, just a really, really good quarterback. Um, and the other game, San Francisco certainly impressed me a lot. But I, I really think that, that was more about Green Bay is just not good. I mean, how did they win as many games as they did? 
Um, they were more than negative one yard per play on the road in the season. Um, and, you know, this is a team that was amazing record that wasn't even outgaining people, or if they did, it was just barely. Uh, Green Bay was very fortunate throughout the course of the season. Certainly, um, you know, they were finally found to be that fraud that most people thought they were going to be. Um, I think that San Francisco winning that game the way they did says a little bit less. I mean, I think the Titans were a better team at the end of the year than were the Packers. So um, San Francisco didn't even have to throw any passes. Obviously, they could just run all the time. Green Bay likes to uh, drop a lot of people back in coverage. And I know that's the way they play in general. Um, but I mean, gosh, if the other team runs every single play and is averaging as much as they do per run. I, I, you would think you would change something, but uh, I mean, my, my first impression is uh, my lean is to the chiefs here in this one, uh, with Mahomes versus Jimmy G, you have a pretty big, um, advantage. Jimmy G didn't play bad yesterday. I mean, he threw eight passes and completed six of them. He played really badly in that Minnesota game. And I, I think that even though Shanahan definitely wanted to keep running in yesterday's game because it was working, I do think, I do at least wonder if he trusts Jimmy G a lot. Um, I think that San Francisco needs to be able to run. Um, you know, he's just, uh, Jimmy G has really looked questionable in a decent amount of these games. Um, I would be worried that, you know, if they have to throw it around a lot, that he could make several mistakes in a game like this. And Mahomes has really done a good job protecting the football. I, I just think that this is a, a big quarterback mismatch to where I'd, I'd hate to go against that. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's tough for me to say too much at this point in time because, I mean, I've got 10 shows to talk about this game. So I don't want to put everything out there here on the first show. But I can tell you, I did grab Kansas City at Pickham over at DSI when this one opened. Got it at minus 110. Was it a true position on Kansas City? Maybe. I just kind of wanted to get out there and, and grab a piece of the Chiefs here because I do like them a little bit more. But, of course, as we break this game down a lot more, you know, you got two weeks to look at every minute detail about this game. So whatever your initial thought is, you don't always have to hold it. You certainly have plenty of opportunities to do a lot of different things with this game. The Garoppolo thing is is definitely something that I'm concerned with. And, you know, I even texted a few people, and you included in the first half of that game, really the first quarter of that game, and I'm like, Chiefs by two scores, man. I, I can't back Jimmy G here in the Super Bowl. You know, he's got just not a great feel for pressure. Took that sack, almost went out of field goal range. He's very lucky that Robbie Gold picked a great time to hit his first 50-plus yarder to make it a 10-0 game yesterday. You know, Green Bay gets a stop. Maybe things get a little bit different for them. Instead, they give up that long field goal, and then the San Francisco defense really buckles down again. So, I don't love Garoppolo here in this spot. You know, obviously, you've got two brilliant play designers, two brilliant play callers in Reed and Shanahan. Big reason why the total has initially moved up here from 52 to 54. Obviously, you know, we don't have to jump into this game early. You know, the line's not going to move a whole lot this week. I don't think it moves a whole lot at all in the lead up to the game here. You're not going to see the ability to money line scalp both sides. I don't think San Francisco is a favorite unless you get an avalanche of money on game day. So I guess what's probably going to sit about where it is now for certainly the rest of this week and, and quite a bit of next week, too. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think that was a good point about the, the coaching in this game. That's part of the reason I am looking forward to this game quite a bit. First of all, I know that Andy Reid catches a lot of flack as far as his uh, 
game management or time management, I should say. And, and he certainly has some, had some issues there, but he's a really good coach. I mean, he's won a lot of games, had teams well-prepared. And everybody knows about Andy Reid after a bye. And obviously next week is kind of like a bye because, you know, they have two weeks before the game. So I would think that the Chiefs would be well-prepared for that game. And at the same time, Shanahan, a really good coach. I, I think this is a very good coaching matchup. And, you know, I would be I would be surprised if either team shows up not ready to play. So I do think it'll be a good game. I believe the number now after the Texans game is after a bye, 23-5-1 to the under for Andy Reid. So, yeah. you know, he is very well prepared uh, in that game off some extra prep time. But certainly I expect Kyle Shanahan to be very prepared as well. And once again, we will talk about this game on every show over the next uh, nine editions of Bang the Book Radio here. We'll do... Prop stuff next week. Hopefully you and I have enough prop stuff to talk about uh, with that Monday show. If we don't, we'll do the best we can with it. Uh, But again, a lot of Super Bowl coverage coming your way, both here on Bang the Book Radio and also over at bangthebook.com. So with that, next weekend is the Pro Bowl. Neither one of us are going to touch that. So a lot of people going to be doing college basketball, NBA, NHL over the next couple of weeks. And we've got a plethora of college basketball notes here for you on today's show and i'll let you go ahead and start man as we start in the colonial athletic conference yeah i mean there's a lot to talk about in college basketball you know it's obviously uh conference season heating up um this is the time of the year where uh you start finding out who the contenders are and the pretenders are certainly uh the first team i wanted to start with is unc wilmington they made a coaching change in the middle of the season uh cb mcgrath was let go it seems like the players didn't like him very well because those first couple games after he's gone, they nearly beat Hofstra at home in that first game. And then they stunned Northeastern at home in their game after that. And I stayed away from both of those games because, you know, I I didn't know what they would do. You know, I felt like it was a pretty big unknown. Sometimes teams can just give up on the year. Sometimes teams really respond well. So far, UNC Wilmington has responded very well to that change. Yeah, that's definitely an important one to take a look at there. And, you know, again, I mean, we don't think too much about coaching changes during the college basketball season. You know, sometimes we do get guys fired midseason, certainly in in college football and in the NFL. In college basketball, you know, a lot of times it's going to be some assistant that gets promoted. So we don't really think of it as being, you know, a significant change for some of these teams. But even just a fresh mindset can really help. Yeah, and that's what it seems like here. Um you know, maybe just listening to a different voice most of the time uh, versus what you had before. Maybe it got that effort to come back. Um, you know, and I, I don't think that we should necessarily extrapolate this and think that UNC Wilmington's going to be great the rest of the year. But at the same time, it looks like there's at least going to be effort there. So I wouldn't look to just fade them. Uh, we'll see what their lines look like here in the next couple games because I do think there will be a reaction to uh, them playing pretty well here. All right, so what else are we taking a look at here? And, and, you know, one of the things I think is pretty interesting here, and and obviously we've kind of harped on this with a team like Maryland, for example, and all their problems on the road, but road teams had a pretty decent weekend, at least as far as Saturday goes. Yeah, 59-39-2 Saturday were the road teams, according to covers. So uh, that's very interesting to me. This is the time of the year that road teams have done really well in the long run. Uh, I know it's been really well, Uh, covered at this point that uh, Big Ten home teams have just completely dominated. And I I don't know, you know, we could go pretty deep into that as far as trying to figure out why the Big Ten has been so, um, you know, 
favorable to home teams this year. But in general, you know, while you're going to hear about that a lot, keep in mind that road teams have done pretty well this time of the year, especially those road underdogs. Underdogs on the road, January and early February, this has been a really strong time of the year for them. So um, keep keep on the lookout for that because you're certainly going to hear about the home teams have dominated in the Big Ten. And uh, some people will try to extrapolate that to the rest of the um, college basketball. That hasn't been the case here lately. It hasn't been the case over the last few years. And I do think that in general, underdogs uh, make quite a bit of sense this time of the year, especially those road underdogs, because these are conference games that all these teams care about. You know, nobody's shut down on the season at this point. You know, when we get later in February, we'll talk about the fact that some of these teams will just stop trying and they'll get ready for the conference tournament. But right now, I think everybody's trying. Um, you know, a team catching eight or nine points is probably catching a point or two more than what they should be um, in general. So I would look to try to look for those road underdogs. I'll throw out a stat that I found here about some road teams. Texas A&M, Duquesne, who we'll talk about again a little bit later on in the show, and Mississippi State, only two true road games so far for those three teams here this season. Four of the next six on the road for A&M. Duquesne's got two road games here this week. And five of the next seven for Mississippi State. So Texas A&M, Duquesne, Mississippi State, not exactly tested in these true road environments, but they've got a lot of those games coming up. So those may be three teams that you want to have on your radar a little bit as far as some road teams that maybe won't have some success here going forward. Yeah, I'd be a lot more hesitant about teams like that where they haven't been tested in the past. Uh, And a lot of those teams, you know, they've played some really weak teams on their schedule thus far. And now they're about to play teams who are far better. So uh, teams like that, I'd definitely be shy about backing. I did want to bring up that a whopping 64 games have gone into overtime in the last 30 days. And I know I I don't want to go too deep into this because I've felt the pain of all kinds of overtimes uh, ruining unders this year, certainly far more than I've usually had in a season. Uh, I know I'm not the only one. Uh, Overall, the over is 50.3% in the last month. And, you know, obviously that number is a bit skewed because so many games have gone into overtime. And I think you could argue that maybe things are a little bit more even this year than they've been in past seasons. Still, at the same time, that's a lot of games to go in overtime in a one-month span. So that will likely regress a bit, too. Yeah, I, I wonder. You know, it, it's I keep looking at a lot of teams out there in college basketball, and, and maybe it's just you know some recency bias based on the teams that I've looked at, but it sort of feels like overall teams aren't as good at the free-throw line this year as they've been in the past. Maybe that's kind of got a correlation as to why there have been, you know, more overtime games. I think that that could have some role. It's it's not the only reason. I think that uh, the talent's a bit spread out this year compared to other years. The the top teams aren't as good as they've been in the past. So some of those um, middle of the road teams normally have a chance against those uh, teams that are highly ranked. We've seen that very many times so far this year. I think it'll make for a very interesting uh, March Madness this year. Well, it's something else, of course, too. We talk a lot about different situational spots, and we we will bring some up here as we go throughout the show. But you know, keep in mind here, teams coming off of overtime games that can be a little bit difficult. In yeah. particular, you know, with that one-off day turnaround, like Saturday to Monday, Thursday to Saturday, something like that. Yeah, definitely. I think that there will be some interesting spots, especially when you catch these teams 
Actually, we're going to talk about one here that is coming off a tough overtime loss when we break down the game. So we'll talk about it a little bit more then. But you catch a team that probably should have won a game, loses in overtime. Uh, there can be some follow-through on games like that. So that's something I like to look at. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that as we go forward. I wanted to mention that Northern Iowa is first in the nation in effective field goal percentage offense and transition. First of all, I would have never guessed that. And second, it's not even close. I mean, their effective field goal percentage offense and transition is a little over 68%, which is more than 3% higher than the second-place team, Murray State. This team doesn't really run that much, but when they've been running, they have been burying shots, uh, hit a lot of three-pointers here in transition so far this year. It also explains a lot of their success here in the MVC so far. They've been really efficient on offense. This Northern Iowa team over the last six or eight years has usually been pretty questionable on offense and very good on defense and they've put together a really good offense so far this year well and again i mean this is a team 322nd in the country in turnover percentage on defense so they haven't been able to get out and transition a whole lot as you mentioned so that's kind of a spot situation where if northern iowa plays somebody in the mvc that doesn't take good care of the basketball maybe you'd be a little bit more comfortable laying a little bit of a bigger number there with the panthers yeah, I would. I, I think that uh, Northern Iowa is a team that could get margin a lot better than they have been in past years, and they've already shown that, obviously. And they've, they've been pretty good on the road, too, and on neutral sites. So I think Northern Iowa is a pretty dangerous team. And an MVC where um, it's certainly weaker than it's been in some years in the past, and Northern Iowa kind of looks like the team to beat right now. Well, as we take a quick look here at the MVC, you've got a team like Missouri State that turns it over a lot. Illinois State turns it over quite a bit. Same thing with Drake and Southern Illinois. So Northern Iowa maybe getting some extra possessions, some takeaways from those teams can take advantage of that transition offense that they've got. Before we get into some regression candidates, I just wanted to mention this one because I actually wrote up a preview for Cal and UCLA yesterday over at bangthebook.com. We had UCLA in that article. They did come through. Uh, a disastrous, awful game for both of those offenses here. But how about these home road splits for Cal? Cal eight and two at home, zero oh and zero oh and eight now away from Berkeley. They're shooting forty two percent from three at home. They're shooting twenty three point one percent from three in these road and neutral sites. That's three hundred and forty seventh in the nation. Thirty nine point six percent from two. 38.2% effective field goal percentage on the road. Second worst in the country for Cal. And, of course, they scored 40 points last night against UCLA. Wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, those stats on the road are about as ugly as it gets. Uh, I, I think that's pretty interesting for a team like Cal, too, a big-name team. I know they're not, they're not good. Nobody thought they'd really be good. But for them to be second worst – uh, when you have a lot of really weak teams that typically struggle a lot on the road in some of the smaller conferences, that Cal is that bad is pretty stunning. 
Well, one quick thing about Cal here is that they are playing three straight home games now. They play Stanford, Oregon, and Oregon State. They'll be on the road again for the altitude double, February 6th and February 8th. So maybe a good opportunity mm-hmm. to fade Cal uh, in those altitude games. But the three straight home games here where they have played a lot better. And again, overall, their body of work, not that good. If you feel like you're getting a few too many points with Cal in these home games, maybe a decent opportunity to buy low on them while they're at home. And then, of course, sell them once again when they head back out there onto the road. So regression candidates, we got a lot of them here to touch on on today's show. And we'll start in Conference USA with Charlotte. Yeah, the Charlotte defense is allowed. Uh, last year, they allowed 1.068 points per possession. That was 224th in the country. 0.953 points per possession so far this year. Uh, great free throw defense defense so far this year. Opponents shooting 61.4% from the line. We know that that's not something that, that it really means anything at all. Um, 61.4% from the line can't continue. To, uh, opponents are going to shoot better than that, regardless of who they play. Um, that's going to go up. They've played the 41st easiest slate of offenses in the country so far this year, and that's out of 353 teams. So they've certainly played an easy slate of offenses. Regression's coming on defense for the 49ers. I think that uh, overs could make some sense when they play some decent offenses because Charlotte plays at a slow pace. They are a bit better on offense than they've been in the past, but uh, Charlotte's defense isn't nearly as good as what they look so far this year. Well, and as we look at today's game between Charlotte and Old Dominion, a 4 o'clock Eastern time tip-off this afternoon, this total up from 113 to 117. And Old Dominion, not a good offensive team, as we know. So that's one of those situations where this one is picking up a little bit of steam here in the markets, looking for some defensive regression from Charlotte. Yeah, and Old Dominion's not a team that I'm ever excited to play overs with. So I, I certainly won't be playing the over in that game today. At the same time, you know, I can't blame somebody for taking over 113 in a game like that because, you know, those low overs usually get bet up, but this one's gotten a little bit more steam than normal. So I do think there's been some people that have noticed that Charlotte's defense can't be as good as they've been so far this year. The second team I was going to say, Stanford, 128th in effective field goal percentage offense um, two years ago, 152nd last year. They're fourth so far this year. So they're shooting 40% from three-point range and above 54% on two-pointers. Uh, 305th non-conference strength of schedule. This offense turns it over a lot. And we've talked about teams like this in the past that I like to look to go against or even play some unders with teams who have been really hot shooting that turn it over a lot. Because once you cool off shooting-wise, if you're turning it over that much, you're going to have a lot of empty possessions and then your numbers are going to slow down from shooting. So it's going to hurt quite a bit. I think Stanford is a bit overvalued at this point. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, it's going to be kind of interesting here too, because you know, I just mentioned Cal and their big home road splits. Well, as we know about the PAC 12, they have the travel partners. So Cal and Stanford travel together. The LA schools travel together. One plays in one spot, one game, the other plays in that spot, the next game. You know, Stanford, it may be kind of interesting to see here what happens with some situational spots with that Stanford and Cal back-to-back because Stanford, a team that, you know, has played really well early on in the year, has kind of gotten some notoriety. Cal certainly kind of falling off by the wayside a little bit. 
that may be an interesting little back-to-back for some of these teams where maybe they lose to Cal the first game, go take advantage of this Stanford regression the second game, or, you know, vice versa. So that may be something to take a look at here in the Pac-12. Yeah, I think this is one that we should revisit here in the future because I think both of those are, are strong points about those teams that, you know, Cal has been an under machine and a good fade on the road. I think Stanford um, is just not nearly as good as some people think they are. I, you know, I think the Pac-12 is a little bit better this year than it's been in the past, but I think Stanford is, uh, you know, overvalued at this point because of their shooting percentages. And and I think that Stanford, there'll, there'll be some good times to go against them here. The last one, I, I said uh, kind of negative regression candidates on the first two. So uh, UAB's three-point shooting here, a positive regression uh, should be coming here. 28.2% for the year, 20% even in Conference USA from three-point range. And you could argue that UAB has um, a weaker uh, group of guards than they've had in the last couple of years. That's probably true. Um, they've also played the 94th toughest slate of defenses. The thing is, is even if they have a weaker group of guards, they're not going to keep shooting 20% in Conference USA from three-point range. They've been around 34, 35% in Conference USA for the last three years. This improved shooting is coming. I think that UAB plays at such a slow pace that their numbers are very low as far as totals. I would lean toward overs with them, just assuming that they're going to shoot a better number than they have so far this year. And obviously in Conference USA, you play quite a few weak defenses. So I think we could get some good spots for low overs with UAB. Well, of course, you want to end on a high note, and I'm just going to you know, go back to the pessimistic side of things. Because <laughs> I saw one yesterday that kind of stood out, and then they go and hang almost 100 points on their rival. But South Dakota, up in the Summit League, as, as you and I were talking about before the show here, the Summit League is not very good at all this year. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised, outside of Denver and Western Illinois, I wouldn't be terribly surprised if any of these teams wind up getting the one bid from this league here. Uh, Fort Wayne's also quite a bit behind everybody else. But South Dakota, South Dakota now, after last night's big blowout win over South Dakota State, shooting 41.4% from three, that is number one in the country. It was 40.5. They were number two going into yesterday's game. Last year, they were 198th in the country at 33.9%. So I don't know what they're doing differently, but I certainly have to expect their three-point shooting percentage to fall off quite a bit. And by the way, they don't defend the three-point line well at all. Opponents, 37.5%. That's 326th in the country. So as South Dakota's shooting regresses, uh, they could be in, in a bad way there. Yeah, certainly. Um, Nick Hagedorn has just been burying everything from long range. And and while he is a good player, you wouldn't expect him to keep shooting 55% from three-point range. And, you know, this is a South Dakota team that was one of the better teams in this conference last year in defense. Now, we've talked about this before, so people who haven't listened to us in previous years, and the Summit League is is always like this. You don't necessarily see every team runs, but nobody plays any defense here. You know, they're, they're no good at defense. At the same time, this is a pretty extreme example here for South Dakota. This is a team who is certainly one of the better teams in the Summit League. And like we said, that's not really saying too much. But you know, they're not defending anybody this year. Far worse on defense than they were last year. They are good at not turning the ball over. So I think they'll continue to be fairly efficient on offense. But, 
you know, the numbers that they're putting up as far as shooting right now don't seem very, uh, you know, it's not something that they can keep doing. So uh, 44% in, in conference play from three point range. And funny enough, that's second best in the conference. So Summit League is one where I, I try to limit my exposure to unders and I'll, I'll continue to do that. So if you see low overs in this league, I, I would consider those certainly. I think South Dakota could be a pretty good fade candidate, though, go, going forward, too, because actually, even though they've been shooting that well, they've played some pretty close games and even lost some of those games against weak teams here in the last few weeks. One last thing I wanted to mention here before we talk about some regression candidates and, and th- or before we talk about some fade follow, I should say, this isn't a regression topic, but just something I wanted to make sure that I mentioned here on today's show. Last week, we talked about the really bad spot for Cal State Bakersfield. They were playing Chicago State. They were playing essentially two games in 36 hours, going to play UMKC, then going to play Chicago State. Well, they got a little bit of a break here because that weather system that rolled through the Midwest postponed that game against Chicago State from Saturday to Sunday. Now, they wind up covering the big number there. Chicago State didn't score a point for like the last eight and a half minutes to allow Bakersfield to cover in that one. But that was a situational spot that was taken away from us by the weather. Three games, in fact, were postponed on Saturday. Again, we don't think of weather playing a role with indoor sports, but it plays a big role from a travel standpoint. In this instance, it helped Bakersfield. In other instances, it may not help the road team that's been traveling. So, again, pay attention to those local beat writers. You're going to find these spots over the, you know, the rest of the winter months here. Yeah, a couple things about that. Number one, um, you know, I, I wonder if there were what fifteen or twenty people at that game. You know, I mean, Chicago State the doesn't get shot was so bad. Oh my gosh, so terrible that crowd shot. If you haven't seen it on Twitter, uh, check out the Chicago State home games. I mean, you know, I, middle school games draw more more attendance than that. I, it's it's sad, really. Um, but you're right that that one actually helped the road team there with the, the extra time. We did talk about Sacramento State last week, too, with uh, two games at altitude, and they were just absolutely blown out. So that one ended up working out. Uh, nothing changed in those games. But I, I think that that is a good point that, you know, when we talk about something five or six days ahead of time, sometimes something changes between then and now uh, when we talk about it and when the game happens. So keep that in mind. Yeah, that's definitely an important thing. And again, I mean, these weather considerations, you know, we, we've seen the horror stories from the beat writers about these teams, you know, showing up an hour before a game. And you know, these guys may not be professionals. They may be you know, a little bit more adaptable than, than the creatures of habit that you know, are in the NBA or in the NFL or something like that. But these guys still have routines. They still want to be able to stretch out or, you know, work out or do whatever they do before the games. Weather can have an impact on these teams from a travel standpoint. And keep in mind, too, I mean, you know, teams in the SWAC, teams in the MEAC, teams in the Big Sky, they're not, you know, flying cushy charter jets everywhere like Big Ten or, you know, Big 12 or ACC schools are. They're busing, man. You know, that's it's almost like minor league baseball travel itinerary. So, again, very important to try and find those beat writers and keep that stuff in mind and. Like I said, I mean, I thought Chicago State in a great spot there. Game gets pushed back a day. I wind up not making a play on it, worried about that. And Bakersfield covers by, what, a point or a half point, something like that. So, again, these these weather situations definitely can have an impact. 
it can be hard to find that information, but you know, use your judgment too. I mean, if there's a storm rolling. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. ...through somewhere, and you kind of see that, you know, then take a second look and see if you can find out some more information. Yeah, and I think the important thing about that, too, is you could just pass, even though you kind of uh, think that you might like it like you did in, in that situation last week. There's so many games in college basketball. If there's some reason that you wonder if maybe that angle isn't as good as what you originally thought, it's okay to pass and find a better uh, better spot. All right, so we take a look at some fade and follow stuff here. You've got one fade team and one follow team for us here. And I guess since you like to end on a high note, we'll start with the fade team. Yes, I see that you you have noticed that I, I tend to try to do that. I, I like to try to be optimistic. So um, San Diego State, 12-6 and six ATS. This is a short-term fade. Um, I like San Diego State. I like this team quite a bit. But the stock is really high on them right now. And I do think that uh, in betting, it is somewhat like the stock market in that you have to try to buy low, sell high. We're trying to sell high here on San Diego State, a team that's very, very good on defense, very good. But they're not great on offense. They're pretty good on offense, but they're going to be laying some really big points. They're also getting a lot of publicity right now. And you get a team like this that's getting as much publicity, you're going to add a point or two to uh, what you're going to be laying compared to normal. So I think San Diego State is a good team and not a team I'd want to play in the postseason. But I think that their their stock is a little bit too high right now. Well, and again, one of the nice things, we sing the praises of Bart Torvik's website all the time here. One of the nice things is that he has his look ahead lines for every game on all of these team pages with the exception of February 29th in Reno against Nevada, San Diego State at least a double-digit favorite in all of their remaining Mountain West games, including some big numbers like t- almost 24 tomorrow against Wyoming, almost 20 at home against New Mexico, 17 against UNLV at home. Some very, very big numbers for their home games. Yeah, and I think that they'll win a lot of those games fairly comfortably, but I do wonder if, you know, laying 15 or 20 points could be a problem here. You know, this is a team that does have some experience this year with not playing great in some of the games where they were favored by a lot. Tennessee State, they only beat by 13. That's a really weak team. And then San Jose State, they uh, hit a buzzer beater to even win that game. So, they're certainly capable of playing down to their competition. I think that that could happen here sometimes in the, in the coming weeks. Um, the follow team, Toledo, 5-12 and 12 ATS this year. This is a team that's been consistently above average in the MAC. You know, the MAC is not very good either. I think they're a little bit weaker than they have been in past seasons. This is a well-coached team. I think this is a good long-term follow from here on out. This is a... Toledo team that has more talent than most of the MAC does. They come in here five and twelve ATS, coming off a good performance in their last game. I think that's probably a, a look at what might be coming ahead. A, a Toledo team that is likely to be quite a bit better than they've shown so far this year. 
Yeah, that was one hell of a performance against an Akron team. It's been very, very good. Toledo yeah. almost 1.4 points per possession in that one. And we're talking about an Akron team prior to that. Their three losses, West Virginia on the road by 10, nothing wrong with that. Louisville on the road by six, absolutely nothing wrong with that. And then Liberty on a neutral, they lost by 13. But Liberty, of course, in that two-horse battle with Lipscomb last year, Lipscomb's fallen off. Liberty's still very, very good. That was uh, that was the worst loss of the season for Akron against Toledo back or, uh, over at the Jar on Saturday. Again, as you mentioned, a pretty good sign of you know what this Toledo team may be, may be capable of here as we go forward. So we've got a lot of games we're going to try to get to here. We'll try to get through some of these in rapid-fire fashion here. You know we like to go way under the radar, and you know we like to talk about pace wars. And there's a very good one in the Big South Conference tonight on Monday night between Winthrop and Radford. And these two teams probably going to meet in the conference championship game with that lone bid on the line from the Big South Conference. But I wrote up a preview for this game over at bangthebook.com, and uh, you can get my thoughts over there. I'll also share them here on the show. But what are you thinking about this one tonight, Kyle? Well, first of all, I think the drop-off from Winthrop and Radford uh, to the third team in the Big South is really dramatic. I mean, there's nobody else in this conference that is really even close to as good as those two teams. Um, while Radford games are a lot lower scoring generally, this is a good offense. You know, they're 78th in offensive efficiency in the country. They've won some games on the road here this year against good teams, or at least fairly good teams. Uh, they had a neutral site win by 15 over Richmond, and Richmond's been very good this year. They won at Northwestern, had a close loss at Liberty. They've certainly proven that they can play on the road. Now, they're home in this game. Winthrop's a team that, you know, they've also been pretty good on the road, too. They won at St. Mary's, almost won at Fresno State. Uh, this is a team in Winthrop that's consistently very good, what very well coached. Pat Kelsey, Radford's well coached as well. Um, Jones has done a really good job with that program. I think that the pace war is really interesting here. And I have to share a, a quick story about this one. Winthrop's been a team that I, I've had my eye on and I, and I played them over against Hampton in their last game. And I, I, I have to say that, you know, I've kind of beaten myself up quite a bit over how I've done this year in college basketball. The past few days have certainly been better. And I hope that's a, a sign of things to come, but Winthrop and Hampton played here on Thursday night, and it was 116-95. to 95. Um, Good shooting, certainly, but 84 possessions in that game, just up and down all the way. Um, my son likes to check my scores for me sometimes in these games. He, he gets very excited about this. So he's six years old. Occasionally he gets an, uh, a score wrong. He was checking that game for me, and, and he tells me with two minutes left, the scores, you know, 112 to to 89 or something i said no no look again you're on an nba game look look what what are the two team names but obviously that game was extremely high scoring which leads you into the fact that radford is you know a totally different team than hampton hampton's just gonna fly up and down the court and play no defense radford's not a great defensive team but they're not going to let this get into a really fast-paced game i see ken palm has this projected at 68 possessions and that would be the fastest game that Radford's played here. Um, not all season. They played uh, 71 against Georgia Southern, but the, the 68 would be the quickest tempo they've had in the past 10 games. So Radford certainly doesn't want that style of play. I have to say I don't have a strong opinion on this game. I would tend to lean toward the home team in Radford here, but 
Um, nothing strong. So I'm curious your thoughts here. Yeah, I, I didn't have a strong play necessarily. I liked Winthrop plus two and a half a little bit. And in fact, we've seen Winthrop money come in on this game going down to one and a half and even pinnacle down to one. So the sharp side is Winthrop here in this one. But something else that I kind of wanted to point out a little bit and our talk about San Diego State made me think of this. You know, keep in mind here that it is much easier for fast tempo teams to cover big numbers than it is a slow tempo team. And when you look at a team like Radford here on the season, they're very good offensively. As you mentioned, they're not particularly good defensively. They've played some close games in conference here. They only beat Gardner-Webb by three. Now, of course, Winthrop went to triple overtime with them. Only beat Campbell by five. Beat USC Upstate by four. The, the fewer number of possessions you have, the more condensed that game can get. So people would hold it against a team like Radford saying, now they're winning a lot of close games. Whereas you go look at Winthrop, they've got a lot of blowouts here on the season. And in particular, four of their five conference wins are in blowout fashion. So maybe that provides, I don't want to say fool's gold, but a little bit of an inflated perception for Winthrop because of the margin by which they're winning. Doesn't shouldn't take away from how good of a team that Radford is. But again, in these very low major conferences here, Again, people aren't doing the full deep dive. They're not doing the full due diligence. So be careful with conferences like this. And not to get too far away from this game, but even looking at a game like Bucknell and Colgate tonight, I know you mentioned Bucknell as a follow team to some degree for you. Colgate's been the best team in that conference, but that line coming down here, maybe with the thought that Colgate's perception a little bit inflated to open nine and a half. Yeah, and that's a game that I strongly considered last night. I ended up passing on Bucknell. Certainly won't take it at the price that it's at now, but I, I certainly lean Bucknell plus the points. I think that they've played some really tight games with Colgate in the past. Obviously, Colgate's better than them at this point, but it's a pretty big number to be laying with Colgate. So I, I would uh, agree with that lean. And, and as far as Radford, I, I did want to say one more thing. Radford's a really experienced team. Should have mentioned that early on, but they're 11th most experienced team in the country. Winthrop, a much younger team. So um, I think Radford, I would give the edge here. I, I do think this will be a really good game, and it wouldn't be stunning if this would be the type of game that could go to overtime. They actually played two fairly high-scoring games last year when these two met, and I would lean to the over in this game just because the offenses are a lot better than the defenses here. One last point. You know, when we get these these marquee matchups in these low-major conferences, keep an eye out for that next game. You know, look and see who they're playing. Look and see if they're going to be fully invested, you know, let's say this one does go to overtime or double overtime, something like that. All of a sudden, each one of these teams laying a price in its next game, you kind of worry about that spot a little bit. So these huge low major, you know, marquee games of the teams that are likely to win, you know, the automatic berth or at the very least play against each other in the championship game. Those are things where maybe you want to take a look at that game coming up too, especially with all these games on the board now in the added conferences. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think especially Winthrop in a case like this, if Winthrop were to lose a heartbreaker or win this game, then they play USC Upstate. They're going to be laying a huge number on Thursday. That would be a very uh, tough spot for them, especially because if you look back at Winthrop, they've played some very close games uh, against some bad teams at home already this year. Gardner-Webb, the the triple overtime game, Elon 85-80, to 80, so they're certainly capable of playing down to their competition. 
All right, so let's talk about a big conference here. On Tuesday night, the Big East, Butler and Villanova. This is one of the games that was on the list that you sent over to me. Definitely happy to talk about a marquee type of game like this one. And uh, you seems like you've got a, a fairly strong opinion here as we await what the Tuesday lines look like. Yeah, I mentioned Butler as a fade team here based on their strong start. And I wish I would have faded Butler in the last couple games, but Butler's clearly a good team. Uh, their their last two games did expose them a bit. The Big East is really fun this year. I think this is a conference uh, I want to talk about quite a bit this year. I, I did want to point out that Villanova has completely changed the way they're playing in conference. Um, they were running, playing very quick early in the season. They're using two and a half seconds more of the shot clock on an average possession in conference play than they were in non-conference play. This is a Villanova team that has really put the brakes on almost using 20 seconds of the shot clock on average. That's important because it's been, you know, their totals have been pretty high. The, the odds makers are adjusting here pretty quickly. Now you, you can't be a team as big a name as Villanova and not have an adjustment pretty quick, but things like that are things to look for in general. And if you see some of the smaller teams that are doing similar things, certainly something I'd like to look for unders in this game. I do lean to the under, I think that Villanova is my stronger lean here in this game, though. Bill, uh, Villanova is a team that, um, you know, I think they're a tested team. We know how well-coached they are. Not saying Butler's not a well-coached team, but Jay Wright has the edge on much, most coaches he's going to play against. And this Butler team, you know, I think that they don't have as many scoring options as, you know, um, you would want to have in a good league like this. Baldwin's a really good player. I think Butler's a good team, but... I don't think that Nova's going to be laying too much here. Ken Palm has this one at one. Uh, I, I imagine Butler or Villanova will be laying a bigger number than that. But, you know, to me, Villanova minus the points here is certainly my lean. I think that Butler is a decent defensive team. I don't think they're quite as good as they look so far this year. And on offense, like I said, you know, Kamar Baldwin does everything for this team. Uh, I don't think that they have enough good options after him. With Villanova, you have several pretty good options on offense. And uh, Jay Wright, a tremendous coach. You know, I, Every year, this Villanova team is one of the best in offensive efficiency. I don't think anything will be any different this year. It's partially because they take really good care of the basketball. So I like Villanova here, and I would lean to the under also. 50% of Villanova's field goal attempts coming from three in their five conference games at home, they're shooting 40% in the three games. On the road, 21.1%. They were 15 for 71 in their road trip to Marquette and Creighton. So if they're going to bomb away from three, at least they're home in this one. And you know, again, I mean, taking a little bit more time, probably moving the ball around the perimeter more, getting more clean looks. You've got to think Villanova probably does have a little bit of success offensively there uh, in that one against Butler, particularly from deep. One of the games that was on my radar here for Tuesday night, a game that we actually talked about the first time these two teams played, Air Force is at Utah State now. In the first meeting, Air Force won by 19. They totally dominated the second half. Utah State was in a pretty bad spot coming off that San Diego State game, and it certainly showed. Can you trust Utah State to get revenge here this time around? Well, this is the team that I was talking about coming off that overtime loss. You know, Utah State, I remember watching in the first half the other night, uh, Utah State was just blowing out Boise State. I mean, this game looked like a complete runaway. 
And then I saw that they had lost, and I didn't really see how they lost, but I, I looked it up later, and and Utah State was losing or was winning at Boise, sixty-six to forty-eight with three fifty left in the game. I mean, it's hard to lose a game like that, but they were able to do it. How do you bounce back from a spot like this? I mean, you would think that Utah State would be invested here. I mean, they did lose to the Air Force in that road game in blowout fashion. You know, uh, Air Force was up seventy-seven to fifty-three with a minute and a half left in that game. So Air Force won very easily. And this is an Air Force team that hasn't shown to be good on the road. Um, I don't think Air Force is a team I'd want to back in a game like this. At the same time, do I want Utah State here? I mean, I I don't think I can take Utah State. I, I don't know about you, but you look at their last few games here, they have really underperformed. Uh, this is a Utah State team that, you know, they're going to have to go win the Mountain West now if they want to get in the, uh, the NCAA tournament like they were last year. So, I don't think I can trust Utah State to be laying this many points. No, I don't think so either. And again, I mean, now you start shifting focus to, you know, Greg Peterson mentioned on the show a couple of weeks ago, Sam Merrill doesn't look healthy for Utah State. He just doesn't <laughs> look like the same guy. You know, we know that they've had, uh, he does, you know, only played eight games here so far because he's had some different things going on. You, you kind of wonder here for Craig Smith, I mean, do you just sort of, shuffle the deck a little bit and focus exclusively on getting ready for that conference tournament and trying to win it because your at-large birth chances are completely gone now. So what is their incentive when they're a double-digit favorite as they will be, you know, maybe in this game, but certainly against Wyoming a couple of times, against San Jose State at home? What is their incentive to blow these teams out? You do kind of have to wonder about that a little bit. Yeah, I, I think that if Utah State kind of tanks the rest of the regular season, I do think they could be a good team to back in the conference tournament. They still have plenty of talent. And like you said, and, and like Greg mentioned, um, this is certainly a team that's not been healthy. I think their upside's still very high. Merrill is definitely not completely healthy. And then Keita has, has been a very good player for them, but he's only played eight games. And even in those games, he hasn't played the whole game as much as they would want him to. So this is a very banged up team. They still have good talent, but you know, coming off a spot like this, generally I'd kind of want to go against Utah state here, but I don't trust air force enough on the road. Um, probably in line, maybe nine and a half or something like this, that in this game. And I think that, Air Force has not shown me enough to where I'd want to back them. But at the same time, I'm not laying the points with Utah State here. All right, so we take a look ahead to Wednesday here. And ironically enough, you and I both pick out A-10 games to talk about. So we'll talk a little bit of Atlantic 10 basketball here. We'll start with the one that I mentioned just because I already talked about this team once and mentioned that they've only played two true road games on the season. Did win both of them, by the way. Duquesne on the road at Rhode Island on Wednesday night. I think you and I are probably going to fall in line with our thoughts here on this one. Yeah, and I will say that if you hadn't sent this one to me, this is one I would have brought up. So uh, we we agree that this is a good game. Uh, Duquesne's 15-2 and two this year. But we know that Duquesne played a really weak schedule, a non-conference 321st-ranked schedule, according to Ken Palm. And let's look at what Duquesne's been doing here lately. Okay, so they won on the road at St. Joe's. That really doesn't mean anything. St. Joe's is... Very weak this year. They won at George Washington. A decent win, you know, not a bad performance. Then they come home, play Fordham, and they need overtime to win at home against Fordham, a team that is just dreadfully bad. Fordham was without their three 
um, best players on offense in that game, and they still took Duquesne to overtime, so a really, really bad performance. Rhode Island's been pretty good this year, and I think, you know, Ken Palm has his number at four. I assume Rhode Island will be laying a little bit more than four. At the same time, um, you know, I have to lean Rhode Island in this game. Rhode Island has beaten some pretty good teams at home. Providence was a nice win. They beat Davidson by 11 points. Now, we'll talk about Davidson. They haven't really been very good, but they beat Alabama by 14. This is a Rhode Island team that's been pretty consistently good this year. They had a bad performance against Brown on the road. At home, they haven't really played a bad game yet. They lost to Richmond, but Richmond's a good team. To me, Rhode Island has been very consistent. They've played the much tougher schedule. They've played the 59th toughest schedule in the country. They were top 50 non-conference schedule. Duquesne has to show me something. Duquesne is a team I'd like to go against. So if this line is four or four and a half or something like that, I like Rhode Island here. Yeah, I like this one too. I mean, you know, like I mentioned, Duquesne, you know, they're not exactly battle tested in true road games. And and Rhode Island, certainly better than St. Joe's and George Washington. I think Rhode Island kind of rounding into form a little bit. I know they struggled uh, to a degree with LaSalle last time out, but you know, I think this is a team that is, I think this is a team that has one of the higher ceilings here in the A-10. It's not on Dayton's level. It may be kind of in the realm of VCU, but I just think this spot uh, does really set up pretty well here for Rhode Island. The other A-10 game that we're going to key in on, you just mentioned these teams and well, one of these teams in passing, Davidson and St. Louis. What stands out about this one for you? Yeah, Davidson's 6-11 and 11 ATS so far this year. They, they were thought to be the favorites or second favorites for the A-10 in the preseason. What happened to Davidson? I mean, I, I don't know what to, to think of this team. I, very well-coached team, and I still think Davidson could make a run. But at the same time, they sit at 2-3 and three in the conference, and their two wins, Fordham and St. Joe's. I mean, this has really been a disappointing season so far for Davidson. You got St. Louis off a really good effort. Um, you know, St. Louis against Dayton in that game where St. Louis should have won that game. You know, they were they were really, really um, unfortunate loss there for them. And this St. Louis team is in a tough spot here. You know, in general, like I said, this is one where I'd like to back Davidson and maybe you should back Davidson here because they are that they fit that low ATS angle that I've talked about in the past. You get a team that's low ATS against a team that's done really well. And St. Louis has been good ATS so far this year. Usually you want to back the team that is not very good ATS. And this one, my lean would be Davidson. But I, I can't say that I really trust them very much. They've not just underperformed. They've underperformed by so much. And they've not been covering the number but it's not like they've been close to covering the number in a lot of those ATS losses. So it's a hard one to back Davidson. I wouldn't want to back St. Louis off that effort against Dayton. Definitely a tough spot for them. Uh, at the same time, this is not one I really have a strong lean. I think it's a fascinating handicap. And I also think that this game is going to say a lot about both teams because Davidson has to win this game. You know, they've already lost three games in the conference. Obviously a lot of time left, but Dayton ain't going to lose very many games, and there's several other teams at the top there that are pretty good. So Davidson, if they want to stay in check at all with some of those top teams, this is a game they have to win. And St. Louis, like I said, is certainly in a difficult spot. If, if St. Louis plays well here, that tells us a lot about them. All right, so let's go to Thursday here, and you and I each picking out a game for Thursday to discuss. We'll start with the one that I sent over to you here. 
this is probably one you would have sent over. In fact, if I didn't send it to you, Belmont and Murray State, little OVC action here. I mean, we know that this is the marquee game in this conference, and uh, it draws the ESPN2 audience on Thursday night. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a game where, um, you know, we love talking about these OVC games that, um, you know, most people won't talk about a game like this, but these two teams are good. I think that Belmont is not quite as good as they've been in past seasons, but they're still a good team. And Murray State is clearly not the, what, what they were. You know, you lose job Morant, you're going to drop. And there's no doubt about that. Um, he, he's obviously been amazing even in the NBA already this year. Um, Murray State really is dependent on getting to the line on offense. And I, that really stands out to me. They're fifth in uh, free throw attempts compared to field goal attempts in the country. Um, Belmont doesn't foul much at all. They're the 33rd least fouls in the country. I think that Murray State has to find a different way to score here. And I tend to think that Belmont is the better team of these two. Murray State, not quite as tested either. I mean, in fact, I'm looking down through their schedule and I see all the teams that they've beaten here lately. And then I look down at strength of schedule. Murray State is 353rd out of 353 teams. So um, Belmont was my initial lean, and I think I liked him a little bit more as we're talking about it here. But um, Belmont, a really well-coached team. I really like Casey Alexander. Belmont's won a couple games on the road already. They won at Western Kentucky by 17 points, certainly a really nice win. They also won in that uh, game against Boston College on the road earlier this year. So Belmont road-tested already. Um, I tend to think that I, I would side with Belmont in this game. Yeah, as I'm looking here, Torvik's got Belmont strength to schedule 347. So, you know, both <laughs> of these teams kind of stepping up in class a little bit here. And one of the reasons why I wanted to mention this game, actually, you look ahead for Belmont here. This is a brutal road trip. And Clarksville, Tennessee, only about an hour from Nashville, about an hour from Belmont's campus. But Belmont gets Austin P on Saturday. So they play you know, arguably the second and third best teams in this conference back to back on the road. Interesting stretch for Belmont here. And one that again, with that weak strength of schedule could kind of shed some light on, on what the upside of this team actually is. Yeah. And Austin P is a good team. I, I think that's definitely a dangerous spot there. If Belmont plays a close game and, you know, loses in overtime or wins a really tight game here, it might be a good spot to go against them with Austin P. It wouldn't surprise me if Austin P ends up being better than Murray State this year. So I think that that's certainly a possibility. Austin P, a team that I'd like to talk about more in the future. Uh, Terry Taylor, really good player for Austin P. I don't think most people know about him. They also have a really good freshman in Jordan Adams. So um, Austin P, a very dangerous team. And I like that you pointed that one out because we like to talk about you know, it's not just this game that matters, but we look at this handicap and we see what's coming after it. I, I do think that this is a very dangerous spot for them in that second game. Well, we can certainly talk about Austin P next Monday on the show because they play SIU Edwardsville after this Belmont game. It is four or five days afterwards, but they're going to be laying upwards of 20 points potentially in that one. So maybe we'll get a chance to talk about Austin P on next week's show one more game under the spotlight though here as we finish with a major conference game in the pac 12 washington and utah washington playing that altitude double here this week yeah in in general i like to go against the teams that are playing in that altitude double but at the same time you look at this game there's something that really stands out to me here and i wanted to point this one out to listeners because 
Utah was terrible against this zone defense last year. The Utes were first in the Pac-12 in offensive efficiency last year, but they managed 53 points at home against Washington and 45 points on the road. So Utah could not do anything with this zone defense last year. If you look at how Utah was last year, they were in the 94th percentile against man defense. That's top 6% in the country. And then you get 56th percentile offense against zone. So they weren't necessarily terrible against zone. They just weren't very good. And this Washington zone is the best zone defense they'll play. So far this year, 81st percentile in the country against man defense, 66th against zone, although they have not seen much zone at all. Um, I wanted to point this one out because this is something that I think that you should uh, handicap pretty closely. Watch for teams who really struggle against a certain type of defense or a certain style. Uh, Utah has seemed to really not be very good against zone defenses. And we know Utah can't play any defense themselves normally. At the same time, Washington on offense is very limited. They're not a good team at all on offense. They played really quick in non-conference. They've slowed things down quite a bit here in conference action. I lean to the under in this game. Um, I think that you could get a high 130s number. Um, that will likely get bet down because I think Washington, just about every total of theirs gets bet down. But uh, Utah's offense has been very, very efficient last year and this year, but they weren't good at all last year against Washington zone. And I wouldn't think that they'd be very good against them this year either. Well, lots of good college basketball information on today's show. And that's what we're going to be doing on handicapping the hardwood here over the next several weeks with Kyle Hunter, professional handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com and bettersportspicks.com. What's going on at those two sites right now, man? Yeah, first at huntersportspicks.com, discounted prices now available for the all-hoop season pass. 60% so far this year in the NBA, certainly a low-volume sport for me. High volume in college basketball, like I said, I've been disappointed with my record overall. The last few days has been good in college basketball, so hopefully that will continue. But lots of plays between now and the end of the season. Um, all hoop season pass has been discounted there. If you check out bettersportspicks.com, you can sign up for the new free newsletter over there. I sent the Jimmy G under yesterday on pass attempts under uh, 31 and a half. And obviously that was about the easiest winner I've had. Um, I, I need more of those no sweat winners. And I think we all do, honestly. Um, while you're over there at bettersportspicks.com, also sign up to be a free member uh, for the free members area. I'll be posting things there, such as long-term betting systems, first half plays, live betting ideas, et cetera. So there'll be lots of free content there at bettersportspicks.com. And I'm sure all of your Super Bowl prop bets will be posted over there as well, right? Yes, yes, definitely. There you go. There's Kyle Hunter, professional handicapper at huntersportspicks.com and also bettersportspicks.com at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter. Kyle, appreciate your time as always, man. Thank you so much for joining me and we'll chat with you again next week. Thanks, man. Take care.